Uh, that's our plan that's uh, coming up in the next few weeks. Today, we are going to begin a short series, just a couple of weeks, entitled Living Our Theology of Christmas. And the bottom line is we, we can't live what we don't know. We can't carry out in our hearts and minds and actions what we're not meditating on or understanding. So we, we have to have some understanding uh, in the same way that, uh, as I understand it, in order to uh, build muscular uh, physique, I've got some young boys around my household that are you know, trying to build, trying to grow, trying to get that mass density going there muscular-wise. You've got to like tear the muscles a bit in order for them to grow. That's how it actually happens. Uh, likewise, our, our physical muscles, our spiritual muscles, likewise, uh, need to be stretched a bit in order to be able to grow. And so we're going to try to do that this Advent season. Uh, in the past, we have certainly spent time in Luke chapter 2 or spent time in Matthew 1 through 3. We've even looked at the Old Testament prophecies. This year, what we're going to do, again, is going to stretch us a little bit, stretching me already in my preparation this week. And that is we're going to look at the questions from the historic confession called the Westminster, uh, which is a core document that our, our, our church benefits from and aligns with. We're going to use the questions in there. There's about six or seven of them, so we're going to about two a week we're going to cover that talk about the incarnation and what Christ has done. And I'll tell you why I'm doing this Number one, I, I did pray over it and felt like the Lord was leading me to, to have us do this series. So I hope that's probably good enough for many of you. I appreciate giving me the benefit of the doubt on that. But it also gives us a, another angle on uh, spiritual things that maybe are familiar truths that we have in the same way if you're like trying to figure out how to make a recipe for a particular dish in today's world you're going to get on YouTube or you're going to get on the you know on your search app and you're going to look it up and you may look at this one and say ah oh, yeah well that's one way to do it but let me look up this other one I'd like to know maybe two or three ways to do this recipe or maybe you've got this home repair that you need to accomplish and you're thinking okay uh, well uh, that's one way of doing it that my my dad or somebody used to do it maybe I should look it up and see another way or two and that'll give me some some insight into it so looking at the catechism gives us some fresh insight maybe some lenses that we're not used to using for the realities of Christmas and the incarnation maybe it'll fill in some gaps too of course the narrative descriptions in scripture we can't you know improve upon those or replace them but even elsewhere in the Bible the apostle Paul and others of the apostles teach us additional things about what Christ has done and what its meaning is for us in the incarnation so likewise the the catechism and and then I guess the the fourth thing so one two three the fourth thing is that or my reason for for encouraging us this way is that we're always um, even our current understanding of Christmas and how we interpret the biblical passages we're always trapped, we're always locked into our contemporary mindset and worldview, and looking at a historic document of the church forces us out of that a bit. It brings to our attention things we might not otherwise think of. So, uh, as you'll see quickly, I think, my intention is certainly not to take, you know, 
warm, heartfelt, delightful Christmas season and somehow theologize it out of our you know, reach or out of our comprehension is not what I'm trying to do, quite the opposite. I hope that as we read uh, some passages from Scripture today, of course, and then also read from the Catechism, uh, that we will gain deeper appreciation and it will move our hearts to greater worship. And as we've already prayed and Jim shared earlier in the service, that uh, we'd be moved to seek our Lord more, more deeply this, uh, this Christmas season. So uh, that's my hope and prayer for us today. We're going to look at a couple of questions that, in a sense, talk about the where, when, and who. The where, when, and who. Maybe we'll get to how. I bet not. Where, when, and who of the incarnation. And then next week we're going to talk probably about the how and definitely about the why. And then the third week we'll look specifically at what Christ does and how he humbles himself and is exalted in the incarnation. That particular uh, dynamic. So uh, let me uh, read to you all some scripture passages starting with uh, John chapter 1. And then we will have on the screen for for us to read to you as well uh, the first catechism question we'll read today, which is question 30, and then we'll get to 36 later in the message. So read along with me in John chapter 1, then we'll look at 1 Thessalonians 5, and then we'll touch on Hebrews 7 and read the catechism, and we'll dive in. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not made anything that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We already read that in our worship service. And then Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, further back in the New Testament, uh, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5 beginning in verse 5, says, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And then listen to these last few verses. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And then Hebrews chapter 7, just a little bit further up back towards the back of your Bible, turn towards Revelation and stop pretty quickly. Chapter 7, verse 24 and 25 says this. For he, Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. Those are three passages that are in some ways encapsulated in this catechism question. I won't have you all repeat it back after me as is helpful with this, but Westminster Catechism number 30 asks this really vital question that in a sense we all know if we've got any understanding of the gospel, we know the answer, and yet 
as we think about how the answer is stated here, maybe it'll open up some new places in our life, in our heart, in our relationship with the Lord. Does God leave all mankind to perish in the estate? This is the language they used at the time in the 1600s. That just means the situation. In the situation of sin and misery, God does not leave all men to perish in this situation into which they fell by breach of the first covenant, commonly called the covenant of works, but of his mere love and mercy delivers his elect out of it and brings them into a situation of salvation by the second covenant, commonly called the covenant of grace. Let's pray after that long introduction. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we also thank you for uh, those who have gone before us and have taken your word and sought to summarize it in ways that might be helpful and that we could learn and understand and even in a systematized way to embrace. And we pray today that you draw us close to you, stir us out of any apathy that we have here, Lord, and cause us to delight in your tremendous love that you've not left us in that estate, but have brought us into an estate of mercy and grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, recently I was uh, dragged, as uh, seems to be the annual ritual around my home, to uh, that rather large shopping establishment located in our nearby community to uh, try to locate my uh, new pair of dress shoes as a Christmas gift for myself. And uh, the lady that was in line ahead of me, maybe a few years older than me, and seemed perhaps with her gray-haired mother along her side, was speaking extensively, I could tell, to the woman behind the counter, the checkout counter. A bit of a, a line was uh, gathering up. And there were a decent number of people in the, the store. And I, I don't know if the guy in front of me that was just behind uh, the, the lady at the counter, uh, I didn't exactly hear what he said. But the woman that was trying to check out thought that she had referred to him as a Karen. And she wasn't happy about that. She turned around and snapped as sharply as I think I have seen a person jump at somebody verbally in a long, long time. And she was not happy about this gentleman just a little bit back from her. Their conversation, he at first said nothing, and then he mumbled under his breath some further comments about how much time she was taking trying to work out whatever deal she was at the counter, which only brought another retort from her, the ten or so feet between them started to feel like two feet, and within a few moments it felt like about eight inches. Uh, all the while this interaction was going, she stood there, the woman at the counter, with her rather green Christmassy uh, sweatshirt with the words, Merry Christmas, right across the front of it. Well, the guy should have apologized. That would have been the easiest solution. A gentle answer turns away wrath if he did call her that name. But he chose to escalate the situation. And soon I could tell other people around the store, myself included, were wondering, is this 
is this going to go physical? Because this feels like this is about to go physical. Am I going to have to, am I going to be on TV in one of these situations, right? Is this, there's cameras around here somewhere, I'm sure. Is it happening to Pastor Chris? Interestingly, instead, the young woman behind the counter, uh, Genesis was her name, I found out later, quietly wished words of Jesus' blessing <laughs> over this interaction, a sort of prayer slash a sort of hope for defense, I think, as she stood there. And whether it was that or the end of the transaction, the woman and her mother walked off and the man and the woman he was with stood there, but not until she said to him, and I did hear this clearly, I hope you die in a car wreck on your way home. To which he replied, almost instinctively, I think, I hope you have a heart attack. Lesson to be learned. Stick with the shoes that you have this year and don't get any new ones, folks. Or Amazon or Walmart.com, right? Your expression on your face was about as shocked as I was. But here's the thing. It's not far from where we are sometimes this time of year. The stress, agitation, intensity, time together with family that maybe we like, maybe we don't like, getting things ready, getting things decorated, getting things ordered. Uh, as Jim pointed out earlier, trying to have some kind of deeper spiritual understanding and experience that we're not really pursuing as we should. Uh, all of those things, along with just our regular day-to-day -day fallenness and sin, make it uh, tough for us. And whether we're wearing a Merry Christmas sweater and our internal attitude betrays a different posture as violently and as uh, demonstratively as this woman at the checkout counter or not, we're not far from that, really, in our attitude towards others and our posture this season. Uh, to say it, I guess the simplest way, our worship and our kindness and our love and our concern for others in this season certainly doesn't measure up to what it ought to be for Christ followers and those who have been redeemed and rescued. So I want you to think about today how is the reality, how is your theology of Christmas being lived out? That woman, I mean, maybe the extent of her theology is the words Merry Christmas, but that's, that's something, right? That's some understanding. There is a Christmas. We ought to be joyful about it. You and I here today, probably many of us have a much deeper understanding of the realities of Christmas and therefore ought to have much more of a heart-lived, experientially lived a lifestyle of Christmas joy as well. And yet we don't, as we think about how we navigate conflict in this season, how we prioritize our time, how we're seeking to direct our families or not, uh, how we seek to participate maybe in a generous lifestyle the end of this year, how we serve or participate in the church, uh, maybe end of the year tasks even at work with our team or with our coworkers or in whatever setting we find ourselves with school and classmates. Uh, they're all opportunities, right, for us to live out our theology of Christmas and for that to either be really, really shallow and even 
contradictory by our actions and by our words and thoughts or for that to be really, really rich and really, really fruitful. And so today I want us to think through that again in the framework of this catechism that we've got. And if we uh, want to, well, we've already put that question 30, I know, on the on the board, but it begins with, uh, with this uh, concept of when and where. So this first question, Catechism 30, is really helping us orient ourselves. And by when and where, I mean like where in the whole process of redemption does this come? And, and when is it in the timing that God has? And one of the things I think we find out is perfect is how the Lord, the Bible tells us at just the right time. The Lord sent his son into the world in his redeeming and historical purposes. And we sit, you know, 2,000 years on the other side of it. But we know that that came at just the right time. And the first question brings up a couple of interesting things. It it asks us to, uh, to understand this idea of a covenant of works versus a covenant of grace. As God does not leave all men to perish in this situation, But they fell into that by breaking a covenant, commonly called the covenant of works. And then God has moved us into this new situation by a covenant of grace. We don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but I've referred in the past, and I'll just remind you again that uh, Christmas doesn't just sort of, you know, Jesus comes into the world, the, the star appears in the sky, but the reality of Christmas doesn't just drop out of the sky. It's a continuation, it's the fulfillment, obviously, of what has come before. And when we think about it, we can go all the way back to the book of Genesis, where we have Adam and Eve, God's people in God's place, under God's plan of rule and blessing. And we see that theme continue all the way through the Old Testament, that they fall and they are left out of the garden, but they are still God's people under God's plan and God's place of rule and blessing as they're given the land to live in, as they're then later taken away the land. Along the way, of course, they're given a king. They're given somebody to help rule them and judges before that. And they're promised this Messiah that would come. And we come to the New Testament and we find out that Jesus is going to appear to God's chosen people, the Jewish people, with a mission for all the nations of the world. And then as the church expands after the crucifixion and resurrection, we see God's people and God's place and all across the world under his kingdom plan of rule and blessing as we surrender ourselves to the reality that we need a savior, we need a merciful one, and we turn to him in repentance. A new kingdom comes to work in our lives and we live for richer, fuller, and better things, things in this life and things in eternity. And then Revelation reminds us there'll be this ultimate place of the new heavens and the new earth, and God's people will be there under God's plan perfectly of rule and blessing. So we see that overall picture. And then specifically, especially as I think about the fact that there was this covenant of works that Adam and Eve were under, and they they failed to fulfill the stipulation of it, right? We don't have to even turn to there. We understand the idea. And that that same contamination has come through to you and me today. We're not sinners because we happen to sin occasionally, We're sinners because there's something wrong with our nature. We're flawed internally that needs to be remade by regeneration from the Lord. And so that's our situation. And the beautiful thing is that right after the fall, then God begins this covenant of grace. And a lot of us maybe grew up, myself included, a framework that 
you got the Old Testament God, and he, he's like the opposite of Santa Claus, right? You know, he's like the mean, mean guy in the sky. Mess up, and you're going to get busted. Wrath, judgment, condemnation. And we maybe ignore the passages in the New Testament that also speak about wrath, judgment, and so forth that we're deserving outside of God's grace. And conversely, we miss the grace and mercy that's actually there all through the Old Testament, this covenant of grace that begins. And perhaps the best picture of it that I can think of as we think about Jesus being this mediator of a covenant is that picture in Scripture in Genesis when Abraham is being brought into the covenant and he's fallen asleep and God is taking these two halves of animals that have been split to symbolize the covenant relationship. They would take these animals and it, to us it's like, gosh, you know, just sign a contract, all right, and get somebody to notarize it. Why you got to be so graphic? But they would divide these animals in half. And then if you and I were making an agreement, we were getting together to make an agreement, and I'm gonna, you're selling me your house, and I'm going to buy your house, all right? We're going to walk down through the middle, arm in arm, through the middle of these dead animals, and the whole reason is, is it says, if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, and I don't hold up my end of the bargain, may it so be to us as it is to all these animals lying around, right? Real graphic demonstration. Maybe that would be better for some, put the contract attorneys out of business, but it would maybe help us today to uphold our agreements. Well, that was the idea. And Abraham is supposed to enter into this covenant relationship with God, and the animals are divided. And God puts him to sleep. He's not even awake. And God comes down, this sort of smoking pot, if you will, that goes down through those animals, symbolizing the presence of God, that God's the one who fulfills the covenant that you and I cannot uphold. Right? We don't do what we're supposed to do. We don't live out that covenant as we should. So we hear this message in the catechism that this, this one has come to give us this covenant of grace and what a picture for it. And then, and then it tells us here that God didn't leave us to perish in this situation, that we deserve to perish, we deserve separation, but out of his mere love and mercy, he decides to deliver us. Now, I know this is going to be hard to imagine. It's going to be hard for you to even begin to think of this scenario I'm describing. But let's say that there's a certain group, a, a certain gathering, we might even say a certain team, that uh, is a little bit short of a standard that they need to have to qualify for some opportunities. And they were wanting to make their case for how they could have that opportunity to, let's say, play in the big game. What, what kind of argument would be made that, uh, well, we, we beat some tough competition along the way, some ranked competition. We, uh, we weren't at our best maybe in the middle of the season. We've got a good legacy going before us that ought to get us that opportunity to get into that competition, right? We would make a case. What kind of things about the team qualify them? What credentials can be brought to the table? Tell you folks, you think about us and our spiritual situation and the need to qualify for God's kingdom as perfectly holy and perfectly righteous for him to uh, permit us into his glorious heavenly kingdom. Uh, you and I, we haven't even got on the field. We should be under probation. We haven't beat any ranked opponents. We haven't beaten any opponents, spiritually speaking, right? We failed in every way comprehensible. We have no argument that you and I can make for ourselves why God should 
uh, uphold his side of that covenant when we have let ours down. Praise God. It's a covenant of grace, right? It's a covenant of mercy where he chooses to love us even though we have no credentials to bring to the table. We have no argument to make. Any words we would open with our mouth only leave us short. How's that reality shaping you and I this Christmas season? I, I know I appreciate so much all of our elders, uh, all of those that lead and serve in our church. I appreciate Jim's comments earlier in the worship service because they were spot on, weren't they? I won't ask for a show of hands. He didn't ask for one either. But how many of us, your pastor included, really spent anything special this week in focus time seeking the Lord? Maybe a few of you did. Awesome. I commend you if you did. How many of us spent extra time working on Christmas-related stuff and on our phones the whole time shopping and buying things? And how many, you know, spent extra time doing that? I sure spent that and that. Uh, what a reminder of the captivating and transforming reality of God's redemptive plan, that he's done this thing that we don't deserve, that even though we deserve condemnation, he is a God of grace. He's brought us out of this estate into an estate of salvation by his covenant of grace. The second thing and the last thing I want to speak to is another uh, catechism question, but before we get to that one, let me uh, read another passage of scripture or two. Uh, one is 1 Timothy, and you can turn there with me if you would like. Uh, 1 Timothy. That's in the New Testament, right after Thessalonians. You're not far from it if you happen to kept, uh, kept one hand there. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. The man Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at its proper time. And then Galatians chapter 4, that's uh, further back towards Romans and uh, John and Luke and so forth. Galatians chapter 4, the scriptures say this interesting statement. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under law, that we might receive adoption as sons. It's interesting, this catechism question 36, I think maybe they'll put it on the board for you if they can. I don't know if we have it today, but uh, ask this question. So this is the second one for the day. So you've, you've stretched one muscle with question number 30. Now I'm asking you to stretch one more here. We've got a, just a couple minutes left in our time together. Who is the mediator of the covenant of grace? So it's taking you somewhere in these questions, right? They weren't just willy-nilly throwing this stuff together. Is there this thing? Has somebody rescued us? Is there, how is time organized? How is redemption organized? There was this covenant of works. Adam and Eve fell short. What has God done about it? He's put together a covenant of grace for us. Well, who's the mediator? Tell me who he is. And we can resonate with this, right? If you're going to uh, apply for a job or a situation, you're probably going to put together a sheet of paper, right? A resume, we call it, right? This is kind of who I am in the work world. 
if you're on uh, social media and so forth, maybe you, some of you young people, some of us adults are, what do you have? you got a profile. You've got a thing on there that you decide, am I going to tell them? How much information am I going to give them? Do I really want all my high school friends to be able to track me down or not? Do I want to list that? But you're going to put your profile, where you went to school and who you are and what your interests are. There's a, there's a description of who you are. And that's how people can interact with you or get to know you, perhaps. Have a profile, have a description of who you are and who I am. And then listen to this answer. Who is the mediator of the covenant of grace? The Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, of one substance and equal with the Father in the fullness of time, Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, became man and so was and continues to be God and man, two distinct natures, one person forever. You say, well, gosh, that's a lot of that's a lot of mumbo-jumbo. That's a lot of theological gymnastics there and some of those words and so forth. You know what? As Christians, you and I ought to know this stuff, right? This shouldn't be foreign to us. Stretch the muscles a little bit. Get a little workout, right? Get into the gym. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's the eternal son of God. The easiest way we describe it is to say he's fully God and he's fully man. He's fully God and fully man. And this reminds us that it's the, in the fullness of time is when he comes, when he comes. Fullness of time. I guess I need to end this, wrap this thing up here. I'm ringing, I'm ringing. And so continues to be God and man, two distinct natures, one person forever. I'll just say one thing about this because this is what I, I really love about this. Jesus Christ coming fully God, fully man, affirms who we are as people. Right, And there's some versions of spirituality that would teach that life is about escaping all the problems of this world. It's about escaping the physicality or that God doesn't care what you do and how you live with your body, how you treat people, how we uh, conduct ourselves, whether you take a swing at somebody in a department store over a, you know, a cashier conflict, how we live our lives sexuality-wise all of those things, and this reminds us that God is affirming the physical nature of this world. Jesus came as you and me, physically, and that's a good thing. The beauty, the distinctiveness of who we are as individuals and across all the nations and cultures of the world, God is affirming the beauty and the power of that as Christ comes in. We know he's got to come, as I said weeks ago, to be able to pound for pound pay the price for our sin. But this is also a powerful affirmation that the, the physical matters and the physical, we believe in a physical resurrection in a new heaven and the new earth and that God cares about who we are and the things that we smell and the things that we taste. And so having a delicious Thanksgiving or meal or a wonderful Christmas cookie treat, those are things that certainly can pull us away from the Lord. And if they're completely distracting from who he is, or they're things that can cause us to celebrate the Lord. That time we have physically, it wasn't just a couple of years ago that we, you know, we weren't able to get together with family and friends and to sit in the same room, or we had to do with distance to be able to sit down, even in this worship space, to be physically present with one another, right? To shake a hand, to give a hug, to encourage each other. Those are 
meaningful, powerful things. So we're going to talk more about this and all that it means for Christ to be fully God and fully man next week as we get into the why. This week was just the, the when and the where and a little bit of the who. What a powerful truth. What a powerful thing for us to recognize. I hope today in some fresh ways, I hope we've been able to stretch those muscles a bit to recognize that the eternal Son of God has come and He's come to fulfill that covenant promise that you and I don't qualify for, don't deserve to have given to us, and yet He chooses to bless us with. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank You so much again for this reminder from Your Word and from the statements of Your church throughout history. And we pray that uh, these things would help to fill in the gaps that maybe we're missing in our uh, knowledge of who you are and that out of that knowledge would come richer worship, a personal worship with you day by day as we uh, gather and carve out time, family worship that we hope you'll be leading us in in our households and certainly these times of gathering with you. And Lord, we pray too that this would propel even as we think about Christ come into the world, the mission of our church to reach our community with Christ and we think and pray about people who you'd be leading us to invite to worship this month or to our Christmas Eve service or maybe one of the special events coming up. Oh, Lord, we pray as Christ came into the world that, that he came on that mission to save and to rescue us, that you would deploy us in mission for your glory and for your purposes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.